the Beach, the only place to read your emails and tweets. It's Wednesday, May 6th. Thanks for listening to No Dunks on the Athletic. I'm J.E. Skeets alongside me. Thanks to the power of technology. Tass Mellis. Thanks for having me. We got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Hey, yo. Hey, hey yo. Yo. The international man of mystery. Taking it to the max, Lee Ellis. Friends. And last but not least, making the magic happen, it's JD. Hello. There he is, and here we are. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions over the last week. The best two ways to do so, email them in, nodunksattheathletic.com, or tweet them in, at nodunksinc, or better yet, use that hashtag, nodunks. I wanted to give y'all a quick update on the Windy City No Dunks t-shirt that we released a few weeks ago. Last time I checked, guys, we had sold over 200 of these bad boys. So thank you to everyone who has picked one up. There's a big batch getting shipped out later this week, so hold tight if you don't have yours yet in your hand, on your body. But the great news is that all of those proceeds are going to the American Nurses Foundation. I don't know, we make like something like seven bucks per shirt, so we're sending close to $1,500 to the American Nurses Foundation this week. So perfect timing wow. today. Awesome. It's National Nurses Day. So congrats and thanks to everybody for buying one of those t-shirts. Huge, huge news. And we got a little uh, t-shirt tease a little bit later in this show as well. So first question we'll get to right here. Hey, no dunkers. I was born in 1998. I'm 21 now. So I basically missed all of Michael Jordan's career. Even still, I've studied him. I've written three papers on him in college. I will stand him until the day I die. After watching The Last Dance and seeing Jordan shot over Craig Elo, I started to think it's crazy Elo will go down in history as the guy MJ shot over. Are there any players in the last 20 years that will be remembered for getting embarrassed rather than anything they did in their career? Thanks for making the pods and keeping us all entertained. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. P.S. I mentioned my age only because I never really knew Elo. If he was good, please roast me on the podcast. That's, <laughs> that's from Alex Horton. Now, Elo, very serviceable. 14-year yeah. career. But I think that just speaks to the point that Alex is making. Uh, he will be known as the guy MJ shot over because that's how you go down in infamy. And I think one of those guys in the last 10 years, even we don't have to go back that far, I think is Brandon Knight. Guard, mm. little guy, DeAndre Jordan crushed with that alley-oop dunk over top of him in 2013. So we're going back seven years and Brandon Knight, even a better player than Craig Elo in terms of scoring, in terms of uh, being even a borderline all-star one year, the, the year after he had about 18 points per game. But he'll be best known for 2013 when Twitter was fairly big. But this is the first time that I remember a hashtag RIP somebody <laughs> that hadn't died in the basketball world, that he went basically through the floor. Uh, people on Twitter animating a coffin going into the floor for uh, Brandon Knight as, as DeAndre Jordan crushed it on him, the DeAndre Jordan stank face as he turned around. That moment right there is Brandon Knight's moment. That's that's really how he will be remembered. Yeah, if you put Brandon Knight's name into YouTube, the top three results are all of Brandon Knight's worst fails, what's happening to Brandon Knight's NBA career, and the death of Brandon Knight. You're exactly <laughs> right, Tass. I think Brandon Knight's got to be at the top of the list of guys we're going to remember for uh, lowlights on the <laughs> basketball court. I'll try to one-up Brandon Knight, and I had him on my list, so I love that pick. Don't get me wrong. But what about Alton Lister? 
His dunk. His dunk. It's called the Lister Blister. Kemp's dunk on him. Yet it's called his dunk in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and this guy was a pretty decent player at one point in the '80s, and he was like a you know basically a ten and ten type guy. Um, you don't remember anything about Alton Blister besides getting dunked on by Sean Kemp. And literally <laughs> yeah, that's one hundred percent right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what year was that? Well, that's in the '80s, right? He no, was, was on, uh, he, the funny part is he used to play for the Sonics. Can't be that far back. Alton Lister, and then it was well, it was in yeah, the '90s, right? Yeah, it was in the no, oh, it was '93. Okay. Yeah, I think it was. early yeah. '90s. Yeah, God, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, early '90s. Okay. Well, uh, he said he said 20 years, so you're going back, but he'll write a paper <laughs> on that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> How about a modern day Alton Lister could be Timofey Mozgov, who yeah. became mm-hmm. a verb for having Blake Griffin basically jump over his head and thrunk the ball in. Uh, once you become a verb, once you become the nickname for somebody else's dunk, it's bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I throw a Wesley Johnson in there as well for when James Harden dropped him to the floor, looked at him, and then hit the shot as well. Now, it's not so much about Wesley Johnson, I think, than it is about James Harden, so no one will remember Wesley Johnson as much. He's kind of a a player that will sort of float by, but that was his moment. Yeah, there's another another guy who's had a couple of moments combined there. You got the Swaggy P with the missed three. That's that's pretty much an iconic... (laughs) moment of swaggy p he had that 360 layup i remember where he did the flip and it went over the backboard and then and then just the sort of celebrations of that one with Paul gasol so people don't necessarily remember swaggy for his production on the court it was more what he brought to the entertainment side of the nba i think i think he's another one in there like that and just the sort of goofy character that he was as well let's hear from you guys out there i'm sure we're missing some that's a fun question from alex next one what up no dustin checks in Okay, I've been listening since Bill Simmons added TBJ to that Grantland feed back in the day, and you have been my favorite pod ever since. I'm holding out hope that we'll get to finish the 2019-20 NBA season at some point. If we don't, however, I'd like to know what each of you would choose as your play of the year. Beverly blocking LeBron, Harden step back on Beverly, Tatum dropping Paul George, Marcus Smart's crazy save... Maybe a Jokic, a Bogdanovich game winner. Those are a few that come to mind. Turn up that question from Adam. So play of the year, if this season is a wrap. I think it is. If this was tough, I, uh, I ended up watching you know, a good 20, 25 uh, minutes of NBA highlights uh, in getting ready for this. So that was fun. It was refreshing to just uh, be watching basketball from uh, you know, uh, not too long ago. I'm going to go Bogdanovich's game-winning three versus the Rockets. That's, to me, the craziest shot. I'm not... I, play of the year, it's got to be on the short list. The one where he got, like, fouled, like, two times because um, they have, you know, so little time to get it off. I don't Do you guys agree, disagree? Is there something else you have in the mix? As someone who's not a huge James Harden fan, I did love that step back on Beverly mm-hmm. because Beverly, we know, loves to think of himself as pretty much a lockdown defender. And James Harden just shook him and and, uh, and knocked it in. It was an incredible play, really. Uh, I've also got two plays. Alex Caruso's two put-back dunks that just came out of nowhere. <laughs> the play uh, of the year? Oh, Come my on. God. Watch him again, man. Watch him again. Like, no, no one expects no it way. coming. <laughs> he does one over, like, three of his own teammates, and then he does one over Dwight in Denver as well. It's uh, it's it's incredible just because Alex So he Caruso... dunked on his own teammates yeah. twice, and you're telling me it's the plays of the year? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Just watch it back again. It's like... It's it's pretty special. You get up out of your chair watching that. I guarantee it. 
Sequence of the year, I think you could maybe argue uh, Zach Levine's comeback at the end of the game yeah. against the Hornets, and it's so early in the season. You'll see it early in a lot of uh, the highlight tapes for the years, but I'm ultimately going with Patrick Beverly's little block slash strip LeBron just because, to me, that might be the closest we get to a playoff moment this season. It comes down to the mm. last possession. It's two great teams who we assume would be playing in the Western Conference Finals if we ever got to see the playoffs. It was on national TV. It was a Christmas game, so there's a huge audience. Just the the enormity of that moment to me uh, kind of stands out, you know, being two L.A. teams and actually seeing the Clippers beat the Lakers. It's it's tough. There, it's uh, It's kind of ambiguous these guys the, all these are sort of on the same level so when, when I looked at all of them I, I went with a Kobe related play because this year is about Kobe and when LeBron dunked that two-handed reverse kind of rocked the baby to sleep oh, a little yeah. bit two mm-hmm. weeks after Kobe's death in the Staples Center almost 19 years to the day that Kobe did it on the exact same rim and LeBron cherished that picture that Andy Bernstein took of that dunk looking up at him from the baseline. He blew it up immediately. LeBron was so excited after the game, and he gave us this great quote as well. Ever see the movie The Six Man? Referencing uh, <laughs> Marlon's Wayne movie from yeah. 1997. Kobe came down, put himself in my body, and gave me that dunk on that break. So to me, that that's the one that I'm going to remember because all these other ones, yeah, Patrick Beverly's a really, really good one. But I, I, that one's going to stand out for me. That's good. What, but what about um, maybe the theme of the 1920 season was missing, uh, purposely missing free throws and somehow pulling shots out of your team's <laughs> ass? Because I think you could include, I think it was Tatum, right? It was a TNT game, or maybe it was a Saturday night game. It was a big game on, uh, on national television where he mm. missed the three on purpose. And uh, Jalen Brown hit a game-tying three, if you remember that game. I think maybe, was that against the Clippers? It's possible. No, it was uh, the Rockets, I think. The, the Rockets, night. thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, of course, the De'Aaron Fox one, where he misses it and has hit a layup before anyone even realized what the hell had yeah. happened. So uh, maybe there's a theme there, too. Although I think the correct answer, it's Steven Adams' half-court shot versus the Pelicans. <laughs> when he dropped the shimmy after Lee. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just shot-footed the ball in from... From half court, you never see that before. And then uh, it was a beautiful shimmy too. You weren't expecting that from Stephen Adams. It was, it was. Uh, again, another good one for all you out there. Hit us up on Twitter. What did we miss? Next email here. Good morning, lads. Long time, first time, all that good stuff. Thanks for all the content. I've been a fan for over a decade now, and I'm genuinely proud to see the growth of the collective. My homemade TBJ shirt still takes pride of place in my wardrobe. Now to the question. Sean Marks recently stated that Kevin Durant would decide when he was 100% ready to go and wouldn't rule out a return this year due to the postponement of the season or playoffs. I think it's pretty unlikely, but what the hell? Let's play hypothetical. If Durant and Kyrie Irving came back to the Nets roster, got their six-game warm-up in, and the playoffs then started, would the Nets be an immediate contender? Would Kyrie, Levert, Joe Harris, Durant, and Jared Allen, along with Dinwiddie, DeAndre Jordan, and Prince, Torian Prince, off the bench, would be able to take a series or two? Would those dudes take a series or two? I can only assume it would come down to how quickly they could create some chemistry and if they'd be willing to play for Jacques Vaughn in the short term. Because that's a lot of talent. What do you guys think? Big, big love. That's from Tristan in Goulburn, Australia. Yeah, this is... um... 
every Raptors fan's nightmare, right? <laughs> like this sort of scenario, if the, if the season is picked up uh, later in the summer or whenever, if it, if it does come back, um, and we go into the playoffs, and it's a 2-7 matchup, Raptors-Nets. And as a Raps fan, you know, prior to the possibility of these stars coming back, you're like feeling pretty good. That should be another, uh, you know, advancement past the first round. But man, if Katie and Kyrie are there and they're healthy... Hell yeah, they could beat the Raptors. I mean, they could. They could beat so many teams, I think, in the Eastern Conference. If KD is at, I mean, in this hypothetical near-perfect health. I think so. I think you add him to a team with obviously some talent around him, then you're in the East. Yeah, you're a a contender. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And Tristan mentions having some time to create chemistry. That would be great, but I also think one of the advantages that the Nets would have in this situation, if Durant comes back and he's even, you know, 85 90%, is that you wouldn't necessarily need the chemistry if you're just going (laughs) one-on-one with Kyrie and then one-on-one with Kevin Durant the entire time, right? The playoffs become a one-on-one game already, and they would be rolling out two of the best one-on-one players in the league. That could be a pretty formidable team, no doubt about it, but... Shout out to Kristen, or Tristan sending us big, big love. Also a big, big week for Jacques Vaughn. He was a choice yeah. <laughs> in uh, uh, yeah. he was a choice in the trivia podcast. And now what a reminder that he is actually the coach of the Nets right now. <laughs> Remember when Kenny Atkinson was fired in the middle yeah. of the season and then suddenly it was shut down a couple of weeks later? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, on paper, that's a very, very good lineup that the Nets have. But, of course, we probably won't ever get to see it all because uh, Joe Harris is a free agent and will, whether or not they will move on from one or two of those other players to make room, really, for Kevin and Kyrie to, to control the pace there for uh, mm-hmm. the Nets. So I think, yes, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow and Kevin Durant is healthy and we know that he's been working out or, or prior to the season suspension, he was working out and looking good. So he's got a few extra months to get himself ready. I mean, absolutely, uh, if he's uh, you know if he's anywhere near the sort of player he was before the injury, then uh, he, they're, they're going to be a tough out in the Nets. But, you know, again, with these things, he and Kyrie have never played together. So it would take a little bit of an adjustment, you would think. And, and if they were going up against a team like the Raptors, who have been together for a while now and they've got that continuity, um, I would still pick the Raptors to win that series. But I, I think that the Nets, uh, you know, could certainly make it into, you know, six or seven games. Yeah, I wouldn't pick the Raptors to win that series. I think Kevin Durant, uh, the way he looked in Game 5 of the Finals, even in that first quarter, after coming back and then getting injured quickly thereafter, uh, we we were there. I I was lucky enough to be on the floor to watch that dude warm up. He was already the best player on the floor in the first quarter. He was ridiculous. And so would he do it? Does it feel like he'd be coming back too soon if he came back in the playoffs? Probably not. I think, you know, he's taking his time way more time than he took uh, to come back against the Raptors. But, you know, I thought, why why would he do it? Why wouldn't he just give himself a camp? Like if we're thinking logistically here, but then I heard Ian Eagle, the great Nets broadcaster on uh, Mike Francesa's show. And he's, he said, you know, if he waits till the season next year, if the, even if it starts in December, perhaps, he'd be waiting 20 months to play basketball. And that's a really long time. So Ian was sort of leaning towards KD coming back and exacting some revenge on those Toronto Raptors oh, that no. beat his Golden State Warriors. Oh, Man, God. that's I, 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 w- I would pick those two dudes because, they yeah, they haven't played together. But iso ball, like you said, Trey, that's that's... That's enough, man, when you've got two of the best. It would be a crazy hypothetical um, in a way to test 
just how important building team chemistry is though, right? Like how much time you need because not only would you have the Nets having none of it <laughs> with their star <laughs> players and like Trey said, I think he made some astute points there. Like maybe that's oddly great for them offensively at least, uh, you know, sort of their one-on-one style. Maybe it works. But the flip side of that is the Raptors maybe better suited or you would think than a lot of these teams just having these vets that have played so much together that they're sort of uh, like that rock, that foundation that they come in with if it were to start back up. Like that's, you know, you'd think that would be a plus, right? It'd be a nice like uh, clash of like which one really matters. Does it really truly matter um, to have that, you know, so many years together, going to war together, obviously trying to figure out how to win playoff series and big games? Or can you just have this incredible talented player in KD and also Irving and just let them go wild? So yeah, it would be crazy to watch. It actually... I mean, again, as a Raps fan, personally, I would be scared. I I don't think the Nets would run over the Raps. I'd like to point that out. I think they could easily beat them, but I think it would be a hell of a hell of a series suddenly. It wouldn't be a 4-0 or 4-1 win for the Raps. I mean, now you're looking at probably a 6-7 game series where any team could win. And God, it's tough to bet against KD, um, a healthy KD in, in that situation. But God, it'd be fun. Yeah, Scary, I love but it. fun. Not only are we breaking down a hypothetical playoff series right now, we're even breaking down if players who haven't played this entire season come back to face off in this hypothetical playoff series. This is double hypothetical. It's yeah. getting crazy out here. And Lee, I got to fact check you. I hate to be a shoeman on you, but, you know, come on. Kyrie and KD, they played in two All-Star games together. <laughs> <laughs> well, they play, probably played for Team USA, actually, yeah, too, at so some too. point. Yeah, oh, okay, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're, you know, they're, they're, they're set, they're set. All right. Next one here, Hey No Dunkarinos. This one's from Ned Flanders, apparently. Now, I hope you're all well. I'm at the stage of quarantine slash basketball jonesing where I've started talking myself into next season hypotheticals <laughs> to get excited for. For example, I considered what a Wizards team with a healthy and improved John Wall would look like. Word is he's added a reliable three-point stroke <laughs> to his arsenal. With Wall, Beal, Rui, and Bertons forming the core, I feel like the Wizards would be a lot better than people might think. Oh my God, we're at this point. Where did you get some... that word about John John Wall's three point strike? I haven't seen that myself. Yeah, I did. I guess I didn't know that either. Um, around the street. What uh, are some yeah. hypotheticals you've been mulling over, hoping to see next season? Love the show. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. That's from Dan in Scotland. Oh, I'm with you, Danny. I love the John Wall talk. I love it. I love. I, he doesn't need to add a three-point shot to be great. I, you know, I'm not buying that he has added that. I, we've seen him in layup lines. All he does is throw it up and go grab it and throw down a reverse dunk, and he looks good doing it. Uh, he didn't have a three-point stroke, really, before he ruptured his Achilles. Still was one of the better point guards in the league. I think it comes down to, has he grown? Is he... Is he a, a, a mature basketball player now? I think that's what it all comes out to. I heard him uh, in an interview on NBA TV recently, and he was talking about, yeah, coming into the league, uh, you know, where I came from, uh, getting all this money. It, I think it's understandable that I wasn't the most mature player doing the absolute right things. It's, you know, sort of reminiscent of what Scottie Pippen is saying in The Last Dance to, to some degree. He's... Uh, he was out there having some fun, but now he'll be 30 next season. He sees Bradley Beal develop into this great player. I think there could be a maturity connection there, and I don't think the Achilles um, is really going to slow him down. 
I don't know. It just feels like guys come back from injuries and they're entirely fine. And Bradley, or John Wall probably had a gear that he could slow down to anyways and still be an amazing player. Uh, you know, aside from those two guys, you know, with Rui and Davis Bertans, I don't, I'm not really concerned about that, even though they have probably some wiggle room starting next year because the Yamahimi contract comes off. Uh, those two guys are the ones getting paid. They're getting paid 70 million smacks next year. Ooh. So they're going to have to lead the team. Um, but I don't know. Those two guards, it's always been intriguing. They've always been they've always been decent. And, and, and if John Wall can bring it up to another level to match Bradley Beal, if these two guys can be lifers in Washington, as, they, as Bradley Beal has said he wants to be, I'm, I'm intrigued too. I, I do want to see that happen. John Wall, John Wall has another level to go to. Does anyone really believe that? I mean, he's not. I guess he's still in his prime. I, guess, I always think he's older than he is, but I'm skeptical he's going to be better than you know the 23 and 10 type of John Wall we saw a couple years ago. No, no, I don't think he's going to have. I don't think he's going to be another level. No. It feels like he hasn't played for years. I mean, I know it's been all of last season, and he, and prior to that, he missed a lot of games as well through injuries, and mm-hmm. you know to lose your Achilles heel, uh, Achilles tendon like he did. I mean, a lot of guys struggle to come back, you know, because one of the things that made John Wall special was his speed and his ability to, you know, just to break down defenders and get into the paint. And now that's going to be the question. If he can't do that, and for someone who doesn't have a great shot anyway, he's really going to have to find another way to be effective. And, and that's going to be the challenge. I mean, he, he is still, you know, he's still got a lot of um, career left to play. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, are, there have been other players. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, it ended his career. He was a little bit older than John Wall. Not much, but it ended his career when he blew his Achilles tendon. So that, that uh, you know, that's interesting with John Wall. I mean, I, I think if, if he's able to be effective, then the Wizards can still be a playoff contender. But if he... You know, if his shot isn't reliable, then um, it's going to be tough to see how he can be the dominant player that he once was there in Washington. We're going to be getting basically, it feels like, the longest preseason of all time. And during the preseason, you can talk yourself into any team. I've never really taken a John Wall and Bradley Beal team together. But when you see Wall, Beal, Rui, and Bertans lined up, you're like, (laughs) I'm in. You guys are going to score 150 points a night. We'll see how it actually Uh, plays out and if you need to have more than four players on a team I don't know another great hypothetical is what are the Warriors going to be like next season Clay will be back Steph will be back Draymond will be coming off the most rest in five seasons they've got a top four pick which they could either draft and develop for the future or move it to try and bring in some veteran help Andrew Wiggins is around maybe being in a winning environment will help him Eric Paschal was a decent find this season, you know, they're the worst team in the league, but I don't think anybody expects them to be the worst team once everybody is back on the court. Mm-hmm. It's funny you, you brought up the Warriors because that's all I think about when we talk about the current day Wizards is in the 90s, we kept talking ourselves into how great the Warriors would be the next season. <laughs> and then they would stink. And then we'd say, oh, they're going to be amazing the next season. And then they'd be the exact same. I mean, I remember doing that time and time again with the Warriors. And <laughs> that's the vibe I get of the Wizards. I, I like, you know, I like a lot of their players. I get excited too. And then they're just still the Wizards. And it's a little mm. disappointing in the end. That's where I'm at with them. Um, the hypothetical that I'm excited to mull over or thinking about. It's the actually the young Grizzlies because, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, how comparable, in my opinion at least, John Morant is to Penny Hardaway early in his career. And when you look at Penny as a rookie, you know, putting up 16, 7, and 6 on a very good Magic team, a team that won 50 games, and then you compare that to what John Morant was doing, you know, likely going to win Rookie of the Year if we ever hand out that award, maybe getting his Grizzlies into the playoffs, a 500 team, not a 50-win team, but a pretty surprising 500 team. 
Well, the next year, Penny went next level, like in his sophomore NBA season. He went to 20 points per game. The efficiency skyrocketed. He started the All-Star game. Orlando won 57 games. Best offense in the league. All that. Made it all the way to the finals. Now, John Morant doesn't have Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. I get that. But has, hopefully, a healthy Jaron Jackson Jr. and the Canadian connection in Clark and Brooks. So, I'm just sort of, like, thinking of, like, do the Grizzlies make that sort of immediate jump to being wow they're a damn good team not not the finals bound or anything but like wow they're like one of the better teams in the league suddenly being very young because can they replicate what you know penny did can john morant replicate what penny did so that's Mm. team i've been thinking about would you have said something similar about the sacramento kings heading into the 1920 season (laughs) probably probably that's the question right is how good do these teams get when they actually have a little bit of a focus on them right Mm -hmm. it's easy to be the surprise team it's a little bit harder when you're actually getting circled on schedule oh yeah oh yeah exactly exactly I mean I think you could I could convince myself especially because I believe in John Morant that much that he's like yeah they're a 55 win team and then you're right Trey it's like no welcome to the hard reality of the NBA everybody's ready for you now everybody's scouting you now now they know how to play you they're gonna take away this take away that and suddenly they're a worse team, right? Record-wise. And an injury here or there and all that. So, no, I hear you. It's like a, a huge swing, between, like a 20-game win swing uh, that you could see in a potential Grizzlies team next year. Yeah, definitely. Progress isn't always linear, unfortunately, and it can feel like such a kick in the nuts when your team seems like they're on the upswing and then suddenly you're back out of the playoff mix. Mm -hmm. Let's swing cash to the next email. What's up, (laughs) no dunks? What is the worst comparison of all time on NBA draft night? Two that come to mind. Adam Morrison was supposed to be the next Larry Bird, and OJ Mayo was compared to Kobe Bryant. Can't wait to hear your answers. That's from Adam <laughs> in Lincoln, Illinois. P.S. Just got my Chicago edition No Dunks tea. Love it already. Yeah. If you want to purchase mm. that, nodunks.com. Again, all proceeds going to the American Nurses Foundation. Big shout out to Lincoln, Illinois as well, where my dad went to college, Lincoln Christian College. He tells me they were ranked top three in the nation among other Christian colleges. I'm like, okay, dad, I can't imagine the competition was that crazy, but if we're talking about draft comparisons, uh, the all-time worst is NBADraft.net. They compared Deshaun Stevenson coming out of high school in 2000 to Michael Jordan. It has been around so long that they had to put up a note on it on their website because they didn't take it down. Kudos to them, but on yeah. June 25th, 2015, they put an edit. Scouting report in comparison to the GOAT were written while Stevenson was in high school and assumed to be headed to Kansas. Lesson learned. Never compare anyone to Michael Jordan. This was 2000. The site was just getting started. Go watch a tape of Deshaun Stevenson in high school. He was incredible. One of the most spectacular 17-year-old wings you could ever see. Not going to college had a catastrophic effect on him. It seems enjoyable. Everyone discrediting our expertise by bringing up the year 2000 to Sean Stevenson compared to MJ. We never went back and changed his comparison after it was originally made. Here's my favorite part. Apologies to MJ. Hey, the sports leader compared Marshawn Brooks to Kobe Bryant just a few years ago. The other large NBA draft site compared Greg Paulus to John Stockton. Nobody wants to bring that up. You got to be pretty off on your draft comparison to write... A mea culpa 15 years later. (laughs) That being said, Deshaun Stevenson was the number 23 pick. 
Ooh. So maybe they were right. Oh, there you go. No, meant to be. Numerology. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that, that's the thing, you know. It's, it's like when people go on The Voice and they try to sing a Michael Jackson song. It's like, don't go to for one of the greatest singers of all time. Just go middle of the range. You know, it's the same thing. When they were writing this comparison on Michael Jordan, it's like, how can you possibly expect anyone to live up to that sort of a comparison? You know, Lee, but, who would be my, a middle, Lee, who would be a middle of the range singer, in your opinion? Hmm. Good question. Good question. I would say. Uh, let me think about that. Let me. That's a tough one. That's a. T- <laughs> you got Robbie Usher. Williams on the high end, though, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well. Well. Yeah. I mean, he's he's the all-round entertainment package. What about Usher? Usher's a good singer. You know, yeah. a good entertainer. But I wouldn't put Usher in the super elite bracket by any means. Wow. Not bad, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think my all-time favorite comparison, though, is that also the Adam Morrison to Larry Bird. I mean, because, uh, you know, we saw Adam Morrison in college and it was like he was a good player. But, I mean, did anyone just go, yep, that's Larry 2.0 right there? No, of course not. People who hadn't seen Larry Bird, I guess. I mean, people, <laughs> oh, even people, still, even still. Come on. No one's going like, oh, man, I missed the Larry Bird era, but here it is in Adam Morrison. No way. Yeah, maybe they didn't see Larry Bird play, but they saw a picture of him and said, hey, Adam Morrison, yeah. you look pretty yes. similar. Yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. Like, hey, that's a pretty tall white guy with a weird look to him. He's got a stash and crazy hair. Yeah, Larry Bird, 2.0. Yeah, that's really all that happened. Although, he was good in college, too. I mean, oh, let's yeah, not sure. discredit him. He was a baller in college and mm-hmm. didn't have quite the NBA career, though he got a championship, right? So. Ironically, it was uh, Jordan who drafted Adam Morrison, too, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. wasn't so he thought he was Larry Bird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Any other comparisons to ask again? Well, Bruno Caboclo is this uh, standard. Uh, <laughs> two years away from two years away, Fran Fraschilla line. He was uh, the Brazilian Kevin Durant. Still hasn't panned out quite yet, but uh, you never know. There's still time yeah, yet. And Dwan Blair was Charles Barkley once upon mm. a time. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> little yeah. guy, little, little little round guy, but didn't didn't work out. <laughs> All right, next one. Hi, no Dunkaroos. Tass said we have to have a hashtag who says no in each beach step in podcast. So I'm trying to come up with one. Any thoughts on a Devin Booker for Ben Simmons straight up trade? Simmons is a better playmaking star who could help other teammates. And Booker, great spacer and closing option paired with Embiid. Hashtag, who says no? This is from Justin from Hong Kong. Yeah, well, you know I love a who says no. I love getting into the trade machine. Uh, yeah, I look, I mean, on the surface, it, it basically it, it would allow Booker you know, as more of a floor spacer and more of a shooter and he can still play the point guard role, but you obviously uh, sacrifice... Ben Simmons is playmaking in defense there of the Sixers, but um, and for this and for the Suns, I mean, yeah, like sure, why not? Why you know take him out, uh, take Ben Simmons if you can get a chance for him? But uh, I don't know, I don't know. Devin Booker is an interesting player at an interesting stage of his career because we've been waiting for him to sort of take that leap and to be able to carry his team, and he hasn't really been able to do that yet. He's been able to score, we know that, but is he is he really able to take a team like a James Harden type? way that the Harden's done for the Rockets right now I would say probably not and and again maybe it's the situation there in Phoenix for, for Devin Booker he hasn't had a huge uh, great supporting cast around him I don't think he's won more than 30 games in his uh, brief career yet so you know but he's, he's got a definitely got a silky smooth shot and, uh, and and you know in the right situation he may thrive better than he has done so far in uh, in in Phoenix I mean again the numbers are fine 
but there certainly hasn't been the success behind it, whereas Ben Simmons has shown already that he has been an integral part of Philadelphia's uh, you know, playoff success uh, so far in his career. So both say no, both say yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, like, it's, the thing is, obviously it's not going to happen, you know. It's not, no, the Philly aren't ringing up Phoenix and Phoenix aren't calling up Philly and saying, let's make this deal. So I'm just, I'm just trying to, like, give it some... Well, a deal doesn't like, happen until it actually happens, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen. There's a lot well. of hypotheticals out there today. Yeah, <laughs> Lee Ellis says no. Yeah, well, I, do you think... Um, do you think ESPN, I don't know, like maybe it gets redirected right to Kevin Pelton or something like that. Do you think they have the ability to see which player has been punched into the trade machine the most? Oh, because, for sure. They gotta. Yeah, they must, right? They got, they got those numbers. You gotta think Ben Simmons is super high on that list, right? Because every time we do one of these, uh, you know, and you see them on Twitter left and right, the idea of like splitting up Ben Simmons from Joel Embiid. So I feel like Ben Simmons' name is in a lot of these hypothetical trade machines. No, I would have to agree. I mean, he's an obviously successful young player, already on a big contract, and he's got clear flaws that you can see. So he's kind of the perfect guy to throw yep. into the trade machine yep. time and time again. And we'll be able to do it for the next five years because the guy's under contract for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I think Simmons is definitely the better player. I think that Booker is going to leave the Suns at some point. But I still think the Suns are the team that says no because they would just look at it and say, okay, so if we trade for Ben Simmons, we become the Simmons and Embiid team, except for our Embiid doesn't have the range of the defense. So I just uh, I think they'd probably rather play it out with a better fit in uh, Aiton and Booker. Hmm. Yeah, that's a weird one because Booker is yeah, still ascending and still becoming the player he is. But I appreciate Justin from Hong Kong's ability here his ingenuity he took two young guys and put them into this who says no proposal so you can't worry about age you can't worry about right. contracts who who cares i still think the the sixers would say no just because of how great a defender ben simmons is and how special he is on that end uh, and yeah it is a strange fit it would be a strange fit with any big man uh, especially that doesn't have range but He's the better player, so I, I I think the Sixers would have to play it out, and you just don't know what's going to happen with Joel Embiid. You still don't know. Although, apparently, according to reports, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have been working out at the Sixers training facility since the beginning of COVID-19, since, the, since Adam Silver told them to shut that facility down. They've been – Elton Brand came out and said it. Uh, so, strange stuff. So, I guess they'll be ready. Okay. If you okay. believe TMZ, Kendall Jenner has traded Ben Simmons for Devin Booker, so – you know, maybe that's something we need to uh, investigate. Oh, Lee, man, we need to get basketball oh, back here on the gossip what a sites. Bird, that's a good bird, though. Damn. Damn. I, I saw it. I just saw it going around the other day, so I was like, okay. I mean, All right. Well, they're both good-looking guys. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, next one here. I have a question. It's why are you all acting like a bunch of no dunks punks? I, I send you a beautifully crafted email that receives no recognition, only to hear multiple inferior references to Celtics, Browns, and Greens-related content. Perhaps it's because I didn't really ask a question? Okay, let's try again. What's your all-compost NBA starting five? That's from Greg in British Columbia, Canada. I appreciate the persistence, Greg. You didn't ask a question, but... Here you are, the main components of a compost. As you mentioned, browns and greens. That's what, that's what you're talking about. But it doesn't just take those two facets. 
to make a good compost. That's why a starting unit works great. Thank you so much for this idea, Greg. I'll give you my all compost MBA starting five. Here we go. Starting at center, it's Draymond Green. Yeah, greens are probably what a composter will have the most of. They're mainly food scraps. Draymond Green likes to eat healthy. (laughs) He used to be bigger, but he started to slim down when he got to the NBA. And what we're looking for here are healthy food scraps. Vegetable peels, fruit scraps, eggshells. We don't want meats, fish, fats, or grease. Those things bring pests and odors. Dre is a good defender. He'll keep those out of there. (laughs) At power forward, it's Jerome Moisto. You gotta keep that pile moist. Jerome Moiso played in the early 2000s, changed his name slightly for this exercise. Uh, a dry pile, it doesn't decompose, you need water. You can keep your indoor scrap bowl a little moist to ensure your pile then gets wet so you don't have to add it to the pile afterwards. Just a little tip for you composters out there. At small forward, Chucky Brown. Brown played for 12 teams. 12 tying the nba record and like chucky playing everywhere you gotta look for your browns everywhere it's not easy finding enough browns to meet your greens quota i don't find it simple this is is a difficult issue for composters out there some compost manuals instruct a two to one browns to greens ratio some say three to one some say 30 to one Lucky for you, Skeets, you got a lot of ste- sticks and leaves out there. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the, the more browns you have, the faster your pile is going to decompose. I okay. think that's what it comes oh. down to. But one-to-one is fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> okay. but, but even that I find is hard, especially our modern-day city living. You got to be resourceful because they're not easy to find. Dried leaves, paper bags, newspaper, sawdust, you see? It's not easy. I'm getting into sawdust. Who has yeah, sawdust yeah. just lying around? <laughs> I like that you went with uh, Chucky Brown, too, because it's like, hey, don't chuck that in the garbage. Throw it in the compost. Chuck it in the compost. <laughs> you, you, got, you, you read my next line. You can't, just oh chucky, you can't just chucky anything in there and call it a brown ski. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at shooting guard, it's air Michael Jordan. An important mm. ingredient to a compost yep. is air. It's very important. In your receptacle, you got to have little air pockets, little air holes. Some people have those those huge cones, if you, you've ever seen those, where mm-hmm. you, you, you dig a hole and you put your compost in it, and there's just not enough air coming into the compost. It's like a fire. You can't just throw sticks on top of each other and hope the thing lights. You need some <laughs> air pockets in there. So we have the four ingredients. Greens, which are nitrogen, water, browns, which is carbon, and air. Greens, water. Browns, air. At point guard, what are we doing? World be free. Be free to put anything in the world in that compost. It'll decompose. Don't you worry about it. It's science. It'll, it'll figure itself out. And, uh, and also, world be free's nickname, one of his many nicknames, is Brownsville Bomber. So threw that in there as well because he's got a little brown tie in yeah. there. Do you think uh, we'll be hearing Michael Jordan on The Last Dance, episode 7 and 8, talk about composting? <laughs> That'd be awesome. He had a key ingredient in the composting world, his uh, teammate, Dennis Rodman. His the nickname. worm. Yeah. 
Yeah, came All across right. Demond Robinson. Yeah, he played also played again a lot of games against AC Green, who also uh, <laughs> almost almost entered the starting five. He, he follows strict rules in his life, so the compost game very similar. You got to yes. follow strict rules, right? Yeah, and those cigar leaves from um, from Michael's cigars. I think we compost really really nicely. <laughs> All right, uh, way to way to think outside the compost box there Tess with your all, all compost NBA starting fight because I thought you were just yeah I thought you would uh, just go greens and browns keep it I mean there's a million greens and browns that have played in the NBA uh, no he goes no, next I've, level I've seen those cones before you know those cones they, they don't work they have those air pockets at the at the top you need an air Michael Jordan you need some Jerome Moisto mm-hmm. to go along with your Draymond Greens and Chucky <laughs> Browns excellent stuff excellent stuff all right well we got a lot more questions still to answer here but before we do A quick word from one of our sponsors. From landscaping to manscaping. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving, thanks to their Lawn Mower 3.0. I'll be honest here, I don't do any grooming above the waist, but below the waist, that's a different story, because Manscaped forever change the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0 bringing you precision engineered tools for your family jewels that's tools for your jewels fools the perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine we're talking ball toners and deodorant because you gotta keep them fresh Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code THEATHLETIC. For limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs, Lee Ellis Endorsed. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. This next product is for everyone, but especially if your name is Taryn, Sam, or my old ATL barber, Jason. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go. These little bad boys can help in all sorts of ways. Relaxing, concentrating, and keeping your composure when you're cutting my light and fluffy baby-like hair. Sunday Scaries has become a leading CBD brand for millennials. Last year, Sunday Scaries, CBD gummies, and CBD oil won top accolades from Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. So get 25% off your first order with the code NODUNKS, all one word, at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. And enter the code no dunks where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Find out what product might be best for you. Go to sundayscaries.com and use the code no dunks. 29 days. Guys, that's the average amount of time people have to wait to see a doctor in major US cities. A month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP! That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get you the treatment you need on your schedule. 
Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So, if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash NoDunks. That's GetRoman.com slash NoDunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, back to the questions. This next one starts, Guten Tag, No Dunk Stars. A German sports <laughs> website honored Brian Cardinal with an article on his 43rd birthday this week. According to this article, Brian Cardinal would have deserved final MVP honors in 2011. When Cardinal hit the floor, the Mavericks won. If he sat on the bench the full game, the Mavericks lost. He had a shooting percentage of 66.7% during the final series. He grabbed at least one rebound when he played. But the most important contribution for winning the championship has to be his foul on D. Wade in Game 5. Wade bruised his hip and could not perform to his full potential in the remainder of the series. Mavs win. Which other guy from the end of the bench should have won finals MVP in recent years? Swish you all the best. That's from Stefan from Cologne, Germany. Maybe one of my favorite emails. Pitching the case that Brian Cardinal actually deserved finals MVP in 2011. What a case he just made. One rebound per game. That's a compelling case. The, the victories are the only number you really need. And in a similar vein, I think you got to give David Lee the 2015 finals MVP for the Warriors. Mm. Didn't play the first two games of the series. It was 1-1, and LeBron was honestly controlling that series. Remember, everybody was comparing it to a running football team, the way he would just bring it up, hold the ball basically as long as he could before making some sort of play. But in the fourth quarter of Game 3, David Lee... Finally got his first real run of the series. He was a plus 16, went 4 for 4, had a couple assists. The Warriors still lost the game, but that was the blueprint for how they were going to beat the Cavs that year. The next game, Andre Iguodala goes to the starting lineup for Andrew Bogut, and the Warriors win the next three games by 14 points apiece. That was kind of the official beginning of what would become the death lineup uh, the next year, and it wouldn't have happened if David Lee just didn't get a little taste there in game three. There you go. David Lee is the new Brian Cardinal, the custodian. That's right. That's, that's a real tough one to pull somebody deep from the bench. David Lee is a good one. I just went with Fred Van Vliet from last year, who was a bencher, but not a deep bencher. He had that 12-point fourth quarter, 12 points to seal the deal in game six. He scored 15, 17, 11, 8, 11, and then 22 in game six. And that's why Hubie Brown gave Fred Van Vliet an actual MVP vote. You crazy man, Hubie Brown. He did play great, but come on, Hube. Come on, Hube. That's nuts. What about uh, Sasha Vujicic in uh, 2010 finals, game seven? He only played the final 12 seconds of that game. Lakers were up two points and he stepped to the free throw line and had to hit two free throws to basically uh, seal the game yeah that's good yeah I mean he played throughout the series but to come in that cold and have a chance to really ice the game and he nailed him and you guys know I love a good free throw so oh, yeah, uh, so uh, I think that was a pretty important moment alright next one here this is from Eugene in Moscow hey no dunks I've been a Bulls fan since Derrick Rose's first year. Back then, I tried to watch every Bulls game but didn't consume other content about the league like TV shows or podcasts. When my Bulls fell apart and Jimmy Butler left, I just watched the big games but started to catch every starter show and drop podcast. 
the last couple of seasons, I tried to watch the Bulls at the start of the season, but, you know, it wasn't all that satisfying. So this season, I'm consuming like a dozen podcasts or shows about the NBA and watching almost zero games. Well, here's the question, and Lee does a great accent, so Lee, you want to just read the question here? <laughs> My question is, do you have some theme, interest, or hobby that you don't actually do but consume content about it. <laughs> the count has arrived. <laughs> One. That's from Eugene, Eugene. in Moscow. Um, yeah, Eugene. Uh, I, I think I've said this before. I feel like we've had a similar question before, at least, or at least why I brought this up. But uh, the Masked Man Show on the Ringer Podcast Network, hosted by David Shoemaker, it's about wrestling. I consume it religiously. I mean, I almost listen to every single episode, and they're talking about wrestling. And I almost never watch it, outside of the odd, like, WrestleMania or maybe, uh, you know, a Royal Rumble or something. So it's just the way to keep up, sort of, on wrestling. I don't read any other websites about wrestling, you know, nothing like that. It's, uh, this is how I sort of stay a very casual wrestling fan, by listening to The Masked Man Show. <laughs> and it works perfectly. It makes you wonder, would you be able to be a fan of, like, if somebody just did a, a, po- a great podcast on Days of Our Lives and you're just hearing these dramatic stories that are not all that different from wrestling stories, I guess kind of just minus the body slams, you know? Yeah. If somebody was good enough, could you just become a soap opera fan from listening to podcasts? I, I think so. I feel like a wrestling fan even though I don't even watch it because I sort of know what's going on enough. I, 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 I think I could hang with at least another casual wrestling fan that maybe does watch it in terms of talking about the characters, yeah, and the storylines. You're saying you could go blow for blow inside the squared circle? That's right. Excellent. I could sit on my couch for an entire Sunday afternoon watching home renovations shows, but I am never lifting a finger around (laughs) my house to improve my situation around here. It's just not happening. But I'm fascinated by watching it on television. I don't know why. It's a it's a great hangover view as well. Yeah, you know, just yeah. Watching. Are you a uh, love it or list it fan, JD? That's probably my number one home renovation yeah. show. <laughs> ah, that is awesome. I it's one of fun. the it's one of the most successful Canadian television shows yeah. of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Trivia for you. Anybody else? <laughs> I mean, I think I've talked a lot about uh, the fact that I really love all of the lore and the stories and just how deep the past goes for everything that's in the mafia. But ultimately, I'm not in the mafia, um, despite knowing what Omerta is. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have just mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one thing I used to consume uh, when I moved back to Toronto, I used to get the um, subway to work. And you know how you have that free Metro newspaper in the mornings? I don't know if they even still have that. Um, but every Wednesday, there used to be a, a writer, a sport writer, and he used to write these really sort of deep articles about the CFL. And I was always like, God, the CFL, like who gives a sh- about the CFL, especially in Toronto, you know, but he used to write these stuff as if it was like, um, you know, watch bombs. Like he would say, he would talk about trade rumors and stuff. And I'm just like, I've never heard anyone talk about it, but I used to love reading about it for some reason. I was just like, this, it's like, this guy could be completely making this up and no one would even <laughs> know at all. I mean, if you're in Saskatchewan or somewhere where they don't have another professional team, it's like, okay, maybe there's a, some interest there, but in Toronto, like, the Argos are just, you know, they're so they're probably behind the uh, Toronto Rock in terms of um, sporting interest, 
And uh, but he used to get an article every week and just talk about the CFL, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, when the editor gets this, does he just go, yeah, cool, great article, man. I have no idea. I don't have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea if anyone cares, and I don't even know why we go ahead with this. Like, talk about the you least. son of a bitch. <laughs> you come in. You come into my country and you tell me that people can't watch, don't watch, shouldn't care about the Canadian Football League. Well, the Australian Football League, whatever the hell it's called, that that's a piece of shit. I don't give a crap about either. The yeah, Melbourne like, Doogies. No, 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 the Melbourne Demons. The Melbourne Demons. But I'm saying. I'm, ta- I'm talking like if it's the Leafs, at least you know some people are going to care about it. Oh, I mean, how many games? How many Argo games did you go to, Tass? Not many. Yeah, so Not I've many. been to one game. No one was there. No one cared. <laughs> yeah, come on, the man. Rock. You got to keep up to date on where Rocket Ismail's going to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lee. Back in the day, were you more of a Rough Riders fan or a Rough Riders fan? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. oh, give me the Rough Riders, man, all oh, yeah. day. That was uh, that was my buddy Grisha's favorite matchup because he could never lose because he was always cheering for the Rough Riders. Oh, that'd be Cam Stewart's favorite game to yeah. bet on, wouldn't it? Yeah, Give me like the Rough, rough Riders. riders <laughs> Who are they playing? The Rough Riders. I think I know more people in Atlanta that watch the CFL than I did in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's the crazy, CFL though. occasionally had teams in the US, didn't they? Like Memphis, I think they had one, and. Um, Baltimore, Baltimore yeah, Baltimore, yeah. Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell does Shreveport, Louisiana get a team in the CFL? <laughs> they didn't have it for long. Don't worry. It is weird how it, like you said, JD, it's on television down here. I think it was. On, it's on the NBC Sports Network, I think, and people watch it. Yeah. I dig into the Blue Bombers versus the Eskimos. Entertaining football, <laughs> baby. We're throwing that thing left and right. Now the NFL's just copying the CFL. Just throw it every down. Why don't you try running the ball every once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> Our balls are bigger up in Canada. Um, I was going to say something. Oh, you said uh, you went to one cfl game lee yeah. how many uh, toronto rock lacrosse games did you go to ashley docking like, what, what, what uh, looking at here? i've probably been to 10 rock games but uh only oh. because i got a free ticket yeah only because i got free tickets i never oh, paid for them but um, me. yeah yeah no uh, look the, you know the rock see actually, lee they're giving away tickets to the rock and you can't even <laughs> get a ticket to the argos <laughs> the argos was played at the uh sky dome there where the rogers center there and i was yeah. like man this is like there was honestly it felt like there was about a hundred people in the stands it's too big they, they don't play there now team. no they play at the yeah. uh at the ml at the uh toronto fc isn't it i think yeah at that arena. yeah yeah the stadium yeah having said that i of course love pinball clemens how can you not love pinball he's, <laughs> he's an incredible man i got a chance to interview him once and i think i asked him like two questions and the interview went for like 45 minutes he was just so <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's great to be here you know he's 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 a great great human being pinball clemens he should be prime minister of canada <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, Hey, no Dunkin' Donuts. I am a longtime fan going back to the days of the starters. There have been many great NBA uniforms through the years and some also pretty terrible ones. My question, if you could draft your top three favorite and your top three least favorite NBA uniforms of all time, what would they be? Thanks for getting me through this quarantine. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. That's from Jishnu in Washington, D.C. Trey, why don't you answer this one? You got some favorites and, and, and unfavorites? 
Yeah, I'm going to Lee Ellis this answer, though, and change the rules a lot of times. Okay. Uh, number one, first of all, there are three uniforms that I think are locked in as the greatest in NBA history. The Bulls red, Lakers gold, Celtics green. You can have them in any order. That's mine. The Bulls is the best. It's crazy how almost every or so many Michael Jordan classic moments are on the road wearing red. That's why I was happy when they switched to wearing red at home. That was cool mm. to see it a little bit more often. Okay, those are the top three. But my favorites, I'll start at number three, the Orlando Magic 90s black pinstripes uniforms. Shaq, Penny, uh, you know, uh, right, when the, right when their franchise started, I just think those are awesome. With the A is a star at number two. I love the Blazers 90s white uniforms with the stripes across. It's just the red and the black. They hadn't added the silver yet, and they got that little drop shadow on the team name. Beautiful. Number one favorite, though. The Suns, Rising Sun jerseys, take your pick. Purple, black, or white, they're all classic, and they're perfect. Suns, you flip it over, it still looks like Suns. Amazing. The worst, however. I got to start with some trends. At number three, the worst trend ever, third worst trend ever, black trim on classic jerseys. I hated when the Knicks added those black panels to their jerseys in the 1990s. I don't like the Celtics ones that were green and they added the black on the side. If you've got a classic, why add black just because it's the 1990s? Doesn't make sense to me. Number two worst trend, any shiny jersey. I'm talking about the Gold Kings jersey, the Silver Mavs jersey, uh, the Wizards when they wore gold up top, black up bottom. It just doesn't work. Even that era of NBA jersey where they were using the dazzle cloth and everything kind of looked a little bit like lingerie, wasn't really feeling it. I want my mesh to be mesh. Yep. But my number one worst jersey, it's not a trend, it's a straight up worst jersey, the Rockets pinstriped jersey. Mm. They've got everything bad about a jersey. They took a classic and they messed it up. They added a stupid cartoon on the front. They did weird pinstripes that don't even connect at the top or the bottom. And then Yao Ming had to wear him for almost his entire career. That was just tough, tough look for Yao there. Uh, but yeah, they had a classic look with the red and the yellow. Won two championships and then switched to maybe the worst jersey of all time. So that one uh, is the all-time poops for me. The pajama Rockets jersey. Oh, yeah, brutal. Yeah. All right, great yeah. breakdown. Next one here. Hey, no diggities. Yesterday, I was daydreaming and trying to figure out the top 10 most successful NBA franchises. The top seven were easy. In no particular order, Lakers, Celtics, Bulls, Spurs, Pistons, Warriors, and Heat. The fun part of my internal debate was trying to figure out the last three. I got it down to these four. OKC slash Seattle, Utah, Houston, and Philly. I have a couple questions that I would like to hear you guys debate. Since I can only pick three, which of the last four teams do I need to exclude? Or would you take out more than one and include a team I've omitted? And am I overlooking the Knicks and their two championships? God, I hope not. However, they are the only team with multiple Larry O'Briens not on my list. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. That's from Mike in Calgary, Alberta. Go Stampeders. Lee, you want to answer this? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to Lee Ellis this one a little bit. I'm going to tweak his question. Um, because the league has just changed and expanded so much, and teams have moved around, and... You know, sometimes you're not quite sure which team gets credited for a championship. Like, for example, no one looks at the OKC Thunder and says, well, the, Th the Sonics won the championship in 79, so that's one for the Thunder. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, 
the Sonics franchise ended in 2008 and the Thunder started in 2008. So, you know, I'm not crediting the Thunder with anything that happened prior to OKC. And the merger in 76, I mean, I think that that's a huge deal because, uh, you know, the NBA and the ABA merged. And I think, though, the most significant change in the league history was the 79-80 season when the three-point line was introduced. So I decided to go on the top 10 most successful franchises since 1980, I think. I think this is a better way of doing it because that, that, that was clearly the NBA and that was a three-point line. That's when it was introduced. So here are, in order, the top 10 teams since 1980. The Lakers, number one. 10 championships from 16 appearances in the finals. They went back-to-back twice and had a three-peat in there. So they are clearly the favorite. Oh, they're clearly the leader. The Bulls come in second, six for six. And wins in the finals are weighted heavier than appearances. Two three-peats. Can't really, can't really dispute that. Number three, the San Antonio Spurs. Five championships from six appearances. Really amazing that the Spurs never went back-to-back. I think that's one of the the great sort of uh, mysteries of the Spurs' dominance over the last 15 to 20 years, that they were never able... And, in fact, only ever made the finals twice, and that was 13-14, or back-to-back, I should say, um, when they lost the first one there to to Miami Heat. Number four, now, this is where, you know, the Beantown boys might come after me, but I'm afraid this is where they I thought I heard their music. (laughs) Heard them coming up the hill. (laughs) Now, the Spurs... uh, The Celtics have more appearances than the Spurs and Bulls with seven, but they only have four championships. They won 81, 84, 86, and 08, and they lost 85, 87, and 2010. So, you know, as I say, the uh, you, you get more points for championship wins rather than just appearances. Now it gets a little bit tricky because... So where do have you have the Celtics on the list? Fourth, number four. Number four, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Now it gets a little bit tricky because we have three teams tied with three championships from five appearances. The Warriors, Heat, and Pistons. Okay. So to break the tie... I had to go on uh, consecutive finals appearances. Therefore, (laughs) the Warriors come in at number five because they went to five straight and had a back-to-back in there. Number six is the Heat because they went to four straight finals and had a back-to-back in there. And then it's the Pistons at number seven because they went to three straight, uh, 88, 89, and 90. But, of course, they only won 89 and 90. And they lost Uh-oh, 2008, the Detroit dudes are coming. Uh, I know, I know. Well, I, I mean, I had to find a you reason. You better to lose to... yourself in the music the moment you want it. You better never let it go. <laughs> but still, hey, listen, they're, they're seventh on the list. And, and that's a pretty good performance from the Pistons. Number eight, Houston Rockets. Uh, four appearances and even split, two and two. And from 1981 to 1995, they went four times to the finals. That's a, that's a pretty good return for a team. Are you docking them for those trash jerseys? I sure hope yeah, so. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that. I, I'm glad you brought that up because as much as I love the Rockets' history and the tradition and their, their classic jerseys when they won the championships there, yeah, those ones, the pinstripes, are awful. They really are awful. <laughs> Terrible. I always just think of Charles Barkley, too, in those oh, for yeah. some reason. Oh, yeah. and it, it's like Barkley at the end of his career in Houston. It was kind of synonymous, I thought. But anyway, moving on. Uh, number nine, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, only one championship, but four uh, five appearances, excuse me, from uh, from 1980 to 2019. Of course, they went once with LeBron in 2007, and then they made the four straight from 2015 to 2018, winning, of course, in 2016, which was good because they wouldn't have made the list if they didn't win that one championship. And number 10, it's the Philadelphia 76ers. One win in 1983 and three losses, 1980, 1982, and 2001, they lost. So... 
there you go. That's the top 10 franchises since 1980. Shout out to the Dallas Mavericks, who are one and one. But, uh, but of course, appearances... One and two, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. One of two, I see. Yeah, yeah. One of one, yeah. Uh, so uh, the Mavericks, uh, yeah, they just didn't make it as many times as the Sixers did. But uh, fun question. Uh, thanks very much for sending that in, uh, Mike. And, and, and go Rough Riders. Or Stampeders. Excuse me, Stampeders. <laughs> okay. What a breakdown. Okay, next one. Bonjour, no dunkers. Writing from Cholet in the Grand West area of France, a small town oh. pro basketball club, youth academy, sent to the NBA. Uh, is it Michael or Mikel Jellyball? I always forget. Uh, is, it I, I would, uh, <laughs> is it Jelly sure. Ball? Yeah, well, it was always <laughs> Michael. It was always Michael <laughs> Petrus, but uh, I think this one is a Mikael. I, I yeah, yeah. Um, Nando DiColo, Rodrigo Bobois, Kevin Serafin, Ser- Rudy Gobert, and maybe Killian Hayes in the next draft. There's a kid named Killian. That's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope he's good. Um, I work from home as a freelance translator and proofreader, and last year I had the opportunity to make my debut in the hoops writing world. I wrote some articles for a book recap about last season and a magazine preview of this season. I also co-wrote an NBA quiz about the league's history, both for casual and expert fans. Among other questions, I asked the readers, what was the name given to the infamous brawl between the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers played in November 2004? There were three possible answers. Malice at the Palace, the Battle of Detroit, or Friday Night Fight. (laughs) Please note, the game was on a Friday night. Uh, Quite proud of this one, actually, he says. My question, do you think there is a famous game and or moment that wasn't given the legendary name it deserved. For example, I've never been a fan of the block by LeBron on Iguodala in the finals. I understand this choice in relation with other iconic moments of Cleveland sports sports history, the drive, the fumble, the decision, but in my opinion, the chase down would have been way cooler. Cheers, Leamese. That's from Elvis. He is in the building. He's in this email. He's in this (laughs) beach-stepping. Um... So his yeah he has uh, he's basically throwing out the idea that should it be called the chase down instead of the block and I was curious to see what was the first thing that popped up in Google when you typed in the chase down and there are three YouTube videos that popped up for me one was LeBron James called LeBron James the chase down from the NBA it's posted in 2009 it's just like highlights of LeBron's best chase down blocks the other one was from Maximilian seven one one same thing highlights of LeBron James chase down blocks posted a little bit later and then there was another one called like the chase down in the charge lebron's back-to-back smart plays (laughs) and it's from like a game in october so there's also a Cavs podcast called the chase down um i think he's got a bit of a point that does is it a little bit better as the chase down instead of the block is the block too basic even though it fits like sort of that again like that cleveland iconic sort of moments or infamous moments history I don't know. I'm torn on this one. I, I like the block obviously works. The chase down, especially being a LeBron specialty, is right there too. And that's there's no doubt that's what it was. Um, do you guys have an opinion on on in this one in particular? I think it's more though the block. I I, I get what he's saying, and there is a case yeah. to be made there, but it, it, it's more emphatic because it's that big slap onto the backboard. You know that that's what you remember more. LeBron has had some bigger chase downs where he comes from further away and sort of like swats it into the stands. But the fact that this kind of gets pinned against the board, 
you know, for me, makes it more that it, that it should be known more for the block because he, he definitely does hunt him down, but not. Oh, yeah. he doesn't come. He doesn't come like from like we've seen him on other ones where he, he just gets those legs pumping. He more just times this one to perfection rather than having to chase him down to get him because he's running out of time. If you know what I mean. I like the chase down better. I, I think it just. Uh... It's more explains specific. what it was a little bit yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's better. It's it's a little bit more uh, specific. Yeah, to the point. It, it was. You, you, I get immediately get it in my brain that it's the the chase down rather than the block. But is Tayshawn Prince doing it to Reggie Miller? Is that <laughs> is that stealing it? Is that borrowing it from that? Because that one that one definitely more of a chase down. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe a reason that's why it wasn't called that. I there's a Wikipedia page for LeBron's block. In this finals game seven on Iguodala, like a detailed, very long Wikipedia page. Um, actually, recommend you go check it out. I was like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten. Le- you know what LeBron said that about he kept LeBron was talked about after the games like J.R. Smith, don't foul him, don't foul him, don't foul him. Like he's like, I've got it. I'm gonna time this perfectly. And then there's like a play by play of Breen on the call. You know Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Like. This thing is lengthy, so it it definitely stuck, and it is no doubt referred to as the block. But Trey, do you like the chase down a bit better, like like Tass said? Um, I don't know. I guess I'm 50-50 on it. Why not call it the chase down block? That describes everything. Lee's trying to split it up in between when he's running on the court versus when he actually blocks it. Both parts are essential. I mean, LeBron comes from a far way away in oh. a very fast amount of yes. time. I would. I mean, there are other famous chase down blocks in history, but. As time goes on, we're going to forget about Tayshaun Prince's and we're going to remember LeBron's in the finals. So, yeah, call it the chase down. Call it the block. Maybe it deserves two names. Yeah. Are there any other um, things that you think deserve, like, an upgrade on what they're called or don't like what they're called? How about we call the flu game the disease vector game? It's really interesting to be watching that now while we're all quarantined as a virus goes around the world and everybody was celebrating Michael Jordan for going out there sick. I wonder if anybody on the Jazz ever came down with an illness, you know, Ooh. after <laughs> after playing against MJ in the finals. They definitely did. I played against MJ sickness. Uh, I, I like the... Uh, the tra- when Tracy McGrady scores 13 points in 35 seconds, I always have to think about... How many did he score? How many seconds? I think we just got to shorten that up. So I just want to call it the unlucky 13. Mm. We lose the second. We definitely lose the amount of seconds that he did it in, but we got to shorten it up. People can't remember that many words these days. That's just too many, too many words. Mm-hmm. So the, the unlucky un- 13. The unlucky 13 coming at it from the Spurs side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. I like that. I don't mind that. It's very memorable. Lee, any other ones? No, I mean, uh, the step over from Allen Iverson is, uh, I mean, I guess we call that the step over, don't we? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah, I'm great. Just thinking, I, yeah, great. <laughs> it on. definitely feels like most nicknames are just exactly what happened, right? Michael Jordan's mm. shot against Craig Elo, that's the, the shot. shot. LeBron blocked a shot, that's the block. Mm. Allen Iverson stepped over guy, that's the step over. We just need to elevate everything, perhaps. So we don't have, and maybe it would have been, if LeBron had thrown that one down on Draymond Green, right, at Whoa. the end of Game 7. We don't have just the dunk, right? Does That's anyone true. get that label? No, no, I can't think of it. Um, although I think LeBron's would be called that if he had, you know, oh, successfully pulled the, off yeah. that posterization on Draymond. Or the death. Good. The death, death of Draymond. Yeah, the yeah. death. <laughs> the dunk of death. Oh, I guess uh, that's what the Vince Carter's on yep. Frederick Weiss is called. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Frederick Weiss, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next one. Hey, Dunk Boys. I was up late last night watching basketball clips on YouTube, trying to stay sane during this difficult time when I randomly came across an incredible channel simply titled Slam Ball. As to be expected, this channel features many highlights in all of the full games from the broadcast run of the seminal basketball spinoff, Slam Ball. I instantly began watching season one when an announcer mentioned that the coach of the Rumble had stopped his players from playing in an important game because of their academic issues. This coach's name, you may ask? Coach Carter. Whoa. The, the real Coach Carter, Ken Carter, was a slam ball coach. I found out as I went along that he was considered the taskmaster of coaches in slam ball. And no spoilers, but he was ultimately a very successful slam ball coach. Did any of you ever watch slam ball? Its style of play weirdly fits better now than it did in 2002. Wow. That's when it was around. It's yeah. a long time ago. Andrew Mowbray with that email. Thank you, I, Andrew. I loved Slam Ball. Legit, the first time it came around. And for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, because maybe you're a little younger, I mean, it was a form of basketball uh, played with four, like, giant trampolines set up around each net. And they were, like, hockey boards, <laughs> like you're at a Toronto Rock lacrosse game uh, <laughs> around the court edge. And it was a contact sport. It was basketball, but like, you know, encouraged uh, rough physical play like football or ice hockey or whatever. I mean, there was a lot of collisions and these guys were, um, they were wearing helmets, weren't they? Yeah, they were, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. And, you know, so I loved it because here's what it was in, in all honesty. It was like a real life version of NBA Jam or as close as you can sort of get yeah. to making NBA Jam for humans to play. And, yeah, I remember watching those first couple of seasons, um, like you said, in 2002, 2003. I think they were on Spike TV, if, <laughs> if I recall. And you only had a couple teams, but I, I was a fan. It, and it was fun as hell at the time. And I think it made, like, a little bit of a weird comeback later in the 2000s. Or, you know, yeah. I, I didn't watch any of that. I remember Reggie Theus was uh, involved in it, though, early, too. He was, like, a color commentator. Maybe he was the one dropping that Coach Carter fact on you. I'm not sure. But, uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a big fan. Uh, probably, hmm, was I more of a Rumble fan or a, or a Diablos fan? <laughs> I think I was a Rumble fan. Um, now that I think about it, so shout out to Coach Carter taking that team to that championship. I remember thinking it was going to take off because it had that connection to, to uh, NBA Jam. You know, and people were like, oh, oh yeah. man, that's what I want to do, go out there and play. But it never really did, which was odd. It sort of, it, it did come, and I remember for about a year or so there, People were talking about it, and then it just kind of just went away. People were just like, oh, okay, yeah, it wasn't actually as exciting as we thought it was going to be. And um, yeah, I, I, I never got into it as much as you did there, but I remember like watching a few times and just thinking like, that looks so much fun to go oh, out there yeah. and play. But uh, yeah, because they usually have these like do it amazing um, like like face-offs. Do you remember those? Like when fouls were called yeah. and stuff like that? They, they, they yeah. would yeah. like legit set up. You got one blocker. You got the one dunk attack yeah. guy. And they jump off their trampolines and like just destroy each other in the air. And the one guy's trying yeah. to dunk on yeah. the guy trying to block. I mean, it's like it was so much fun. I mean, it was crazy yeah. that these guys like didn't break their legs every game, but uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah, just imagine Pinball Clemens out there playing slam ball. The guy would be dominant. I like to imagine Coach Carter comes into his first slam ball practice. He's like, guys, this worked for me in the past. Put away the balls. 
we're just bouncing today. We got <laughs> to learn our sweet spots. Yeah, there was a, you know, that's a skill though, jumping off a trampoline, right? Getting oh, for sure. Right. Oh my God. It's uh, watch the highlights if, again. If you have no idea what we're talking about, type in slam ball into YouTube. You'll be like, how was this a thing? Though those jerseys would be incredible to rock at Coachella in 2030. <laughs> like, uh, oh, look at that guy's got a bouncer's jersey on, a slasher's jersey or something like that. Yeah, the jerseys appear to be way more football-y than yep. basketball jerseys, right? Which, yep. I don't know, because it definitely felt like it was pitched as basketball more so than football. Like, one of the owners of the 76ers, I feel like, was involved at the league from the beginning. Yeah, Pat Croce, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but, yeah, I guess they, uh, they're they trying to hit both markets there. They're saying, hey, if you like basketball and football, you'll love slam ball for two years. <laughs> Tass, did you watch? No, I just consumed content around it. I just listened to podcasts. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Uh, I, wa- I watched some. I definitely watched some. I never. I didn't follow the league or anything. Like, were there, were there finals? And, I guess there had to be yeah, semifinals no, and were. finals there and were. stuff. I mean, there wasn't a lot of teams. I mean, it was like the CFL out there in the slam ball. There was like six teams, I think, to start with. Maybe they added them. Maybe they added a team or two in the second year. I don't know if they ever found their way to Shreveport. But, uh, yeah. You know what we should do if there's no NBA season? Um, we should go back and start a slam ball podcast where we watch all these games and like just pretend it's happening in real time. Uh, that's great. We got Coach Carter to talk about. Eventually, Xavier McDaniel became a coach. There's another NBA tie-in. Okay. John Starks got a team. And, oh, my goodness, you're not going to believe this, 2008 – Rocket Ishmael was a coach of the Bouncers. <laughs> what? Did what? you read about that in the paper, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a big scoop I remember at the time. But, you know, unfortunately, no one had ever heard of him or the league, so no one cared. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's call it there. But your homework, uh, everyone listening, is let us know what we should call our future Slam Ball podcast. Like, what would be a good name for a slam ball podcast? Anything come to mind right now for anyone out there? Only Dunks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that works. Maybe that works. So let us know. Hashtag no dunks. Email us no dunks at theathletic.com. Keep those questions coming. All right. That's it for us here with the Beach Step In. Um, highly recommend you check out yesterday's two podcasts. We did a Who Wants Some Trivia. I tested Trey Kirby's knowledge of uh, the 97 98 NBA season, in particular, uh, MJ and the Bulls. So go check that out. You guys also did a fantastic one-on-one interview with NBA photographer Nathaniel Butler. Great job, guys. It's a super entertaining podcast to hear him talk about covering MJ, covering the Bulls-Knicks rivalry, how sports photography has changed um, You know, since back in the 80s when he started. This guy's an NBA vet. So go check that out as well if you haven't listened to that one. Coming up on Thursday, we got uh, the penultimate episode of our No Buffs Survivor Recap Podcast. We got two-hour episode tonight, JD. Woo! Hope you cleared your schedule. Oh, it is wide open tonight. <laughs> I mean, we got to have we gotta have somebody coming back from Edge tonight. You got to think we're probably voting out at least two people, maybe even three, two hours of Survivor tonight on a Wednesday, and we'll be recapping it on No Buffs tomorrow on Thursday. And then on Friday, we're watching... And reviewing the 90s basketball movie Above the Rim for Film Session. That's your homework. A watch Above the Rim. It's an excellent 90s basketball movie, so we'll break it all down on Friday's podcast. All right, Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, listen to these names. Warren Moon, 
Ricky Williams, Joe Theismann, <laughs> Doug Flutie, and Dwayne Johnson all played in the Canadian Football well, hey, hey. League. Dwayne Johnson, not not the, the Dwayne the, Johnson. Yeah. The Dwayne really? Johnson. The Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Rocky Mayavia. The Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> that guy. Who did he play for? Who did he play for? I think he played for the Stamps. Wow. Who he play for? You want to do a who he play for Canadian <laughs> Football League edition? Our next podcast. Yeah, we'll oh, catch man. you next week on our CFL podcast. Uh, hey, listen, if anyone's got video footage of Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing for the uh, CFL, I do want to watch that. Oh, and Don Moen also played in the Canadian <laughs> Football League. Embrace the day, people. <laughs> <laughs>